Hey everyone, welcome to episode 143 of the Slice of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Jared Taylor. On today's episode, we have Grant Blevins, the Vice President at Health Velocity Capital. Let's not waste any time, let's bring him on the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me on the Slice of Healthcare podcast. How are you today? Thanks, Jared. Doing great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm excited for, for us to chat. I believe you are our first, like, if I if I put you in a bucket, right, investor that has come on to the podcast. <laughs> Definitely something we want to do more of. Um, it's been a it's been a crazy last year and a ton of companies raised a lot of money in the digital health space and anything really healthcare related, right? And uh, so I, I definitely want to have you hopefully on more, more than once and some other investors in the space to kind of talk about your thoughts. So I'd love if you could give the audience a quick uh, background on you and then we'll, we'll dive into uh, a few other topics. Sounds great. Well, again, thanks for having me. I guess no pressure from the first investors. So we'll, we'll see how this goes, uh, a little dry run. But um, I've spent the last seven years of my career investing exclusively in healthcare software services and tech-enabled services. Um, I like to jokingly say I started uh, just a little after it was cool, uh, but definitely before it was sexy, um, like it is now. So it's uh, the market has changed a lot, as, as you mentioned, and we can definitely talk more about that. Um, but I started my career at a firm called FCA Venture Partners, which um, was really the family office of Clayton McWhorter. For quite some time, he was uh, a longstanding CEO and president of HCA here in Nashville. Um, and I led deal sourcing there along with my former colleague and friend, Andrew Bolden, um, who you may have ran into some, uh, and made about a dozen investments in, in really seed and early stage companies focused primarily on, on providers. Uh, and then I joined Health Velocity Capital about three years ago um, as their, their first hire, uh, which sounds great uh, if it's a startup, but um, I'm one of three hires, so. Uh, you got to keep it humble. Uh, and joined as we were launching our first fund. Uh, we've now mostly deployed that into some really interesting companies that I'm thrilled to be a part of. Um, and uh, yeah, I think mean, that's kind of the rough overview of, of what brings me uh, to where I am today. Perfect. Thank you. Um, and what I want to be able to do is uh, basically any, if we've had any of your companies, right, which I know, I think we've had a couple of them that have been on the podcast also put a tag for, for your firm on them so that they'll be able to also go back to this episode and, and kind of hear from, from one of the, yeah. the people on the, the health velocity team. Great. It would be great if you could share with us a couple of these and we can go with, uh, with successes, which it's, it seems like that's what society likes to hear the most, right? Uh, some of the investments that you've made and maybe just a quick, um, just a couple of them and maybe a quick little blip about why, uh, if, if you were a part of that deal, why you made that investment? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, first off, because of my partner's long tenure in the healthcare space um, and a lot of the strategic relationships we have, which I, which I can talk about, we've been fortunate to partner, I think with some of healthcare's industries first and market leaders like Teladoc and Change and Aspire and Omada and Lavongo and Ginger and others. Um, and uh, in the first fund here at Health Velocity, um, I think probably probably the most standout company 
at least in terms of uh, of where the market is right now and some of the big deals you've seen is uh, is MD Live. Um, we recently sold that to Cigna, uh, who's a close you know close partner of the company for a long time, uh, and really thrilled um, for MD Live to find a home in what is one of the largest commercial uh, and MA plans in the country. Uh, we think for their strategy, it's it's a real game changer. Uh, and so not only, you know, was it a great investment for us, but as you look at um, what MD Live means for Cigna's, you know, broader provider strategy, um, uh, it's, it's really exciting from a member perspective to see kind of this digital first emphasis that, that a payer is making. Um, you know, I mentioned our strategic network, um, which drives a lot of our deal flow, a lot of our conversations, a lot of the value add we have. But about two thirds of our network, uh, excuse me, two thirds of our LP base, uh, those investors who put money into our funds um, are strategic. So uh, we have payers that insure about 140 million Americans. We have providers that operate about 10 to 15% of the hospitals in the US. Um, software and device manufacturers selling into just about every major health system, um, pharmacy and PBM services that really take care of like 99% of America, uh, and then some pharma in the mix there too. So we like to jokingly say our, our LP base uh, represents the US healthcare system. And so, you know, we work closely with them to understand where they want to move from, a, from, a, from an innovation perspective. Um, and then sort of pair the work we're doing uh, with our sourcing efforts and getting to know companies, you know, like Block Health and others um, that can help drive, you know, drive these companies forward, um, you know, and, and really compete with a lot of the, the new digital health upstarts uh, and companies that have really, really taken over. So. Thank you. Yeah, it's one of the things I'd really like to, to dive into with you because I hear it all the time from entrepreneurs in the healthcare space that are at different stages, right? Uh, my, myself included, right, at, at Block Health, is what are some of the things that you actually look for that like companies need to hit in order to be able to kind of maybe take talks more serious with a, a firm like yours? Yeah, um, it's a great question. And if you would have asked me that 12 months ago, 18 months ago, my answer probably would have been a lot different than it is today. Um, and if you ask me next month, it's probably going to be a little bit different. The market is changing so quickly. Uh, it's, it's so exciting, but it's also maddening. Um, you have to be on your toes at all times and constantly change sort of, uh, or manipulate the framework in which you're, you know, making decisions. Um, but, you know, frequently the first thing I tell, especially when I was at FCA doing early stage stuff, frequently the first thing I would tell, um, startups is, do, do you really need to raise money? Uh, it's kind of the thing to do, um, but it's, it's kind of funny coming from an investor too, who you know, makes a living off of making investments, but then I'm telling you, you know, make sure it's what you really need. Um, you know, if you can continue to maintain a solid ownership stake in your own business and you can bootstrap and you can you know, raise a minimal amount, then your option value increases very widely versus raising um, you know, dirty little secret to a company that raises 100 to 200 million dollars is all of a sudden they have to sell for a billion plus in order to create really meaning any meaningful shareholder value. And so, um, you know, the first thing I'd say is like, know your customer audience 
know how big that audience is and uh, determine, you know, determine if you really want to invest. In terms of like answering your question directly, like I said, it's different for each each um, each company, but we like to say um, we like businesses that we believe are at an inflection point. Um, so, you know, a pipeline we can touch and feel some customers that have really uh, started to renew, um, and we can come in and you know roll up our sleeves, provide strategic capital, um, and take the company to the next level. So we like to see evidence of the flywheel turning. Um, the, the problem now today as, a, as an investor is that some later stage firms have come earlier and they're willing to do, they're, they're basically willing to do the work that we do now. Um, and so with that, we're exploring ways to go earlier as well. Maybe look at something that, um, where the flywheel is not quite yet turning, but we believe, uh, we believe the market will catch up to that based on some signals we've gotten from our network. Um, and so that's a long way of saying there's no real silver bullet uh, and, uh, and every deal is different, every opportunity is different. Uh, and so I think if you're, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, just continue doing what you're doing um, because there's a, lot of, there's a lot of people like me out there uh, that want to deploy some capital into, uh, into exciting, innovative companies. I love that. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good answer too. It's, uh, and everyone I've spoken with, if I spoke with someone six months ago, a year ago, the answers continue to change. And I actually like when answers change, when answers don't change, it worries me about certain people. It says that they're so stuck in their ways, right? Like, but this is a crazy time that we're in, especially for healthcare. A lot of things are happening. And some cases there are early, early stage companies, right? That maybe you would have not looking at taking a look at at that time but because they're at an inflection point that maybe is not the exact one that you want but they can really take it to the next level if they're able to have certain capital um injected into the company so that makes a lot of yeah. sense yeah definitely and customers speak louder than anything you know if you've got if you've got five customers your chances of raising a lot of money is 5x that if you have one customer um, absolutely from my perspective cool I do want to make sure we, we dive into this for, for a little bit, but you wrote a, write, uh, a white paper. Um, and I, I told you it was one of the, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give uh, Grant a quick uh, plug here, but it is one of the best white papers I've read in a long time. And it's, it's around this uh, focus of what you call it? Tele, tele, telemedicine wraparound services. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what we're calling it for now. So I, I want to make sure I'll, I'll throw, I guess, a link in the, in the show notes so that people can hopefully be able to get access to this white paper, but can you give people a, a little, uh, I guess, a little snapshot of what they can expect from this white paper? Uh, and yeah, 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 for sure. Well, first off, thanks to the kind words. Uh, we will make the white paper available to the public um, at request. And so they can decide if it's a, if it's a great one or not. Um, but as a bit of a background to our white paper process, every quarter we look at a specific theme that we find interesting on the com, you know, after taking some signals from our, our strategic limited partners that say, hey, you know, specialty pharmacies on the move, look at that. Cybersecurity and healthcare is an early innings, it's about to take off. And then um, and then really the background for telemedicine wraparound services uh, is we took it, we, we took a look at some of the successes we had with. Teladoc and Labongo and you know Ginger and looked at what made them really successful companies 
and then thought about what can make them even more successful companies that ultimately sustain their position long-term. And so if you, if you think about where the telemedicine market is today, and you look at kind of the tools and ancillary services that make up the current brick and mortar healthcare ecosystem, um, those services and tools are really, the services, tools, handoffs, et cetera, are really lacking in telemedicine today. So for example, um, we've managed to build another silo ecosystem within healthcare. And the services that are lacking are like, you know, lab testing, for example. You know, if you go online and get a visit with Teladoc today and you need labs, they're gonna refer you to Quest. Sometimes they can write an order, some, some can't. Um, and that handoff is a little messy. At-home DME, if you need equipment. Uh, home health, or at least in telemedicine's case, we kind of call it home dispatch. Um, uh, even staffing. Um, doctors, mid-level specialists, you know, we were talking about lactation consultants earlier. Um, a lot of those tools, uh, like the AMCs and the cross countries that will focus on, you know, nurse staffing for health systems, uh, we're looking for tools that are doing that for telemedicine companies and really ushering in like the digital first uh, ecosystem. Credentialing, like what you're doing, uh, remote patient monitoring, obviously growing and getting a lot of buzz right now, but still super early and unintegrated into telemedicine. And so uh, we're looking kind of at those core assets um, and thinking about what we can put around it uh, to build a more seamless experience. And then secondly, how do you connect the digital ecosystem with, um, with the brick and mortar ecosystem? Because there is harmony amongst the two, between the two of them. Um, and they both need each other in a way that I think the market is not talking about. Um, you know, our health system partners that we meet with on a regular basis see the, the threat of telemedicine steering payers aligning with um, telemedicine partners to steer elsewhere. Um, and so it's in the best interest of health systems to definitely align with some of these, these innovative companies, you know, maybe around virtual primary care to, um, to not only sustain the relationship, but start new ones to then drive towards, uh, towards other specialty services uh, that's core to their model. So, um, you know, so that's a long way of saying uh, we, we want to see the two converge in a way. Um, and what, what is happening now, I think that, that looks like a bit of an indicator that's, that it's happening is some of the M&A you're seeing with, uh, with Teladoc and Lavongo merging, creating a more end-to-end -end chronic care and uh, urgent care primary care solution. What Grand Rounds um, is doing with, with Doctor On Demand, I think is incredibly interesting. Uh, Cigna bringing an MD Live. Um, and so I, I think we're gonna see a ton of really interesting M&A. We already are, but it's gonna continue. And, uh, and one of the things I talk about in the white paper, just kind of put a bow on this, is uh, I think we're gonna usher in an age of big, big healthcare is what I call it. Um, so moving from, you know, taking sort of a page from big text playbook, you'll get Amazon starting in books, you know, then they add, um, you know, they add a broader e-commerce platform and AWS, et cetera. And all of a sudden they look like a big animal. Um, I think healthcare is gonna see a lot of that to where, um, you know, before you know it, you have these big healthcare mega, mega companies um, that are servicing the patient digitally first and in. 
Yeah, and now speaking of those big companies, now you're seeing Amazon with their recent announcement, and they've, this has been in the works for a while, right? Diving into the the telehealth space with Amazon Care. Checked out the website the other day because, like, I, I think it's recent that they started putting out actual, uh, like, for the first time. I don't know how new it is, but I see Amazon Care. I before it was just Amazon's and telehealth, and I didn't have a website I could actually go to. Um, fun fact too for for everyone listening. So when I was living in Boston, I was in the same co-working space as Haven before they announced that they were Haven. Mm. And so it was, it was definitely interesting getting to, to meet all of those people. And they had to be super hush-hush about what they were working on I'm at sure. the time. But um, it's- But the uh, office is a little empty now. Probably, yeah, probably, I'm absolutely. Fortunate. I was really excited to see, you know, I was really excited to see what became of that. Um, but, you know, as with anything, it's hard to combine two startups, much less three, you know, massive. So I, I don't want to get controversial, but I met some of the people that were working on that. I think there's there's a willingness. People think that I'm going to take an outside of healthcare mindset. I'm going to come into healthcare and I'm going to use this mindset and we're going to do exactly what we did in like big tech in healthcare and not knowing the regulations, not like that. You can learn all that stuff on the fly. I understand it, Mm -hmm. but there was a sense of confidence and maybe even a little arrogance. Like we're Amazon, Mm -hmm. Berkshire Hathaway, JP Morgan, like we're massive. We're going to come in here we're going to disrupt this. We're going to do exactly what we we do in in, uh, our respective spaces. And after meeting a couple of the people and kind of hearing when they were able to talk about it more, I had a feeling it was good. I knew it was going to be difficult before, but I, I was not high up on uh, yeah. Haven at the time after that. Um, I think a lot of companies get into that, that issue that are not from healthcare backgrounds. Yeah. I think a lot of people were skeptical, just like you, um, those who have been in healthcare for a long time that, that know how hard it is, uh, both as operators and investors, um, that understand, you know, it's a, it's a real mission, labor of love. It's, uh, you know, you do it for other reasons, uh, and I think, and I think most importantly, just the levels to healthcare and the complexity. Um, the example I frequently use is PBM. I mean, I've I've spent the last eighteen months trying to educate myself as much as I can on the, uh, you know, on the pharmacy supply chain, um, interactions with pharma, rebates, pass throughs, etc. And like, I feel like I've only scratched the surface. So. Um, you know, all that said, uh, I believe Amazon Care will be a success. I'll state it now. I think it's gonna, I think it's gonna be really interesting. Um, but I only think it's a net positive for the market. Um, I, I think it's just going to drive more buying online. Uh, I think it's gonna educate the market around uh, online healthcare. Um, like for example, we're investors in Lemonade Health, and we believe healthcare is moving online. And uh, while Amazon has shown to own many spaces, there's plenty of examples where they haven't. And let's not forget that healthcare's, you know, whatever, 19% or 18% of GDP. So they're not gonna own the whole thing. Um, and so my, maybe I'm a bit of an optimist. Um, maybe I have to be a bit of an optimist, um, but I, uh, I believe net net, it's gonna be a, a pretty exciting thing for healthcare. And then, you know, back to the white paper, I think it's just gonna, as Amazon pushes in and threatens these bigger companies like Teladoc, Livongo, and you know, some of the others we talked about, I think it's just going to drive, you know, as much offense as it does defense. Yeah, and 
we actually have a new podcast called Nick's Notes, which is hosted by the founder and former CEO of uh, Heal, mm-hmm. uh, Nick Desai. And he, he agreed, he said pretty much the exact same thing that you said. He believes that Amazon Care will be a success. He believes it'll be good for actually providers, uh, your, your average uh, patients here in the U.S. and beyond. Um, we'll see. Time, time will tell. But it's, uh, I, I think this will be more of a success than Haven was. Because this is more yeah. in their wheelhouse than Haven was. Yeah, I definitely agree. Well, I want to thank you again. Hopefully we can have you on again soon, but thanks for coming on. I really appreciate you having me. Hey everyone. I wanted to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Block Health. Block Health is building the ecosystem of services and solutions to power the future of healthcare. Through their platform, healthcare professionals and organizations can enter, upload, and share core credentialing documents and information. Professionals and organizations then have the opportunity to use that information to order multiple services and solutions like credentialing, state license registration, certifications, payer enrollment, renewals, and more. On average, the BlockHealth platform saves users 40 to 60% on credentialing and licensing related costs. Organizations can use Block Health as an extension of their team or as their whole licensing and credentialing team. Today, Block Health works with some of the top healthcare organizations. To learn more about Block Health, please visit www.blockhealth.com. That's B L O C H E A L T H.com and follow them on their social channels at Block Health. Thanks for listening. Thank you to everyone that listened to this week's episode of the Slice of Healthcare podcast. If you'd like to check out more of our podcasts, we're available on all the major podcast channels. And you can check us out on our website, www.sliceofhealthcare.com. And that'll have all of our past guests on there. Uh, You can see our sponsors and you can learn more about actually becoming a guest. Thanks and look forward to another episode next week.